heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. You know, I, I'd like to start with um, two really quick, quick, fast stories before we jump into this explosive Q&A. We have a lot to cover today, my fellow Americans. But, you know, there have been a lot of people that have downsold this uh, pandemic and the, the virus and that people have died or haven't died. And, you know, it, it's just I, I think it's important to point out that there are a lot of people who have died from this thing and for a lot of reasons. I mean, we've addressed a lot of them on this show and on this platform, my friends. But, you know, on one of our shows on the platform here, uh, one of the co-hosts of the show, uh, in, I will leave nameless, but their wife uh, just died um, and of, of this. And it just just in the last week, my fellow Americans. So I'm saying people are still dying from this that are in that serious uh you know, situation. So this is never to make light of. And I get upset when I see pundits out there. As you know, my own wife almost died from it. So I, I, I'm not willing to go down that avenue. Okay. Uh, and, and I want to read you this first uh, comment from a listener right here that plays into what I just said. And just, just hear me on this, please. This is from Michelle. And I feel obligated to share this. Henry Ford Hospital and doctors killed my husband. I begged them to give him ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, and they refused. They delayed the monoclonal antibody treatment for five days. In December, they told me he was going to be septic and die an awful death, and I could take him off the vent and family could come see him. Otherwise, it would be regular protocol, and I would be the only one who could come. They killed my love of 29 years. They killed my children's father. The government killed him. Close quotations. Now, that's a tough place to start, but it irritates the hell out of me that we're still dealing with this kind of thing, people. It really, truly does. It breaks my heart that these kinds of things go on. So I've seen this firsthand, and it's no laughing matter. With all that said, let's move on with this uh, 13th Q&A and answer as many questions as we can. We get so many in here, we can't barely get to the bottom of this barrel ever. And I apologize for that, but it's overwhelming the people who respond here. So Dr. Peter McCullough joins me now and let's get started here on the Q&As. I am absolutely shaken by recent events of this thing from a personal standpoint myself and this, uh, this listener here comment, which really um, is so destructive. It just shakes my soul that we're still dealing with this. Do you have a comment about any of that? It's called medical tyranny and something's gotten in the minds of doctors and hospital administrators to deny patients compassionate care, denied access of family members to patients near the end of life. And a recent review by Burns and colleagues published in JAMA from the Academy Group showed that the protocols that these doctors are so wedded to her conclusions are they're untrustworthy. They don't have adequate expert review. They don't have adequate discussion of risks and benefits, and they're not committed to being updated. So I am telling you, pa patients need to break the doctors on these protocols, get the appropriate treatment in there, and get patients treated appropriately. Monoclonal antibodies, I agree, 
should be given. If they give it in the emergency room, fine. But if they if they quickly get admitted, give them in, in the first day upon admission in the hospital. Okay. This uh, next one here is from Brian. Uh, in Dr. McCullough's latest podcast regarding critical care, I was surprised by the comment that with most patients who go to the hospital for COVID, the virus is already dead by the time they check in. I was hoping for a little more background on that. And also, will the uh, Omicron virus provide any protection in the event I later got Delta? I thought that was an interesting question, actually. What do you think of that? Uh, the first is an update. We, we know that the active viral replication in the nose and oropharynx and tracheal bronchitry uh, is largely wound down after about two weeks. But a recent paper by Chertow and colleagues from the NIH first government autopsy study done found the virus was in almost all the tissues in the brain, the heart, the bone marrow, lymphoid tissue, and it was alive and it was replicated. And in fact, in the NIH autopsy study, it was alive and replicating 230 days later. So the listener is right to question this. It looks like the virus is in the body and alive much longer than what we thought. Okay. And this other thing about the uh, Omicron virus, will it provide any protection if you got Delta after? Yes, a recent paper by Khan and colleagues from Africa demonstrated that the Omicron variant not only generates immunity against Omicron, but also generates immunity against Delta. It closes the immunologic door against Delta. It's kind of a bonus because Delta was so much more of a severe strain than Omicron. Yeah, that is exciting news. I, that's why I had to hear you on that. that. That's really good, good information there. This next one is from Phil. Uh, praying that Dr. McCullough is called to testify before SCOTUS on mandates. Is it safe to say that if you separate peer-reviewed versus non-peer-reviewed studies on natural immunity, that it's the peer-reviewed that prove natural immunity is robust and sustained and potentially better than vaccination alone? My testimony was used by Judge Dowdy in the Sixth uh, Circuit Court for the overturn of the Biden mandates. It was my testimony and that of Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, the only two doctors' testimony you listened to. That case ultimately went up to the Supreme Court where it is now, but there isn't an opportunity for external presentation of data. So I haven't, I haven't been called, called to update since and now that expert report is many months old. So Supreme Court is basically acting on old information. You can tell Sotomayor, Kagan, and the other uh, judges were way off base in terms of the numbers of people in the hospital and the current state of affairs with the problem. Omicron is a far, far more mild syndrome. The hospitals are empty and um, we're managing this at home uh, just fine. You know, I had to get that question of the court in there. I have actually received well over a couple of dozen uh, listener comments about the Supreme Court on this and want to get you involved. So it's a very common question uh, that's being asked, actually. This next one is from Andrick. I watched you on Joe Rogan and you were awesome and a breath of fresh air. I thank you for speaking out and, and sticking up for humanity. I'm in desperate need of finding more concrete study and evidence on that masks don't work like they say they do. Do you know of any peer reviewed studies that you can send me the link to and I'm finding it impossible to find anything online? Masks uh, basically don't work to, as a pandemic response measure because mask expert, Dr. Stephen Petty has shown 18% of the air goes around the mask. It actually doesn't even go through the mask, goes around. The masks only filter out 
uh, three microns, the virus is one micron. So the virus goes in and out easily through the mass. So masks can't possibly work. There's 14 randomized trials showing that masks don't work. Go to Brownstone Institute and look up Dr. Paul Alexander. He's done the synthesis on that masks don't work. By the way, I wear a mask at work and uh, I think doctors, dentists, other people working at close range wear a mask, not for COVID reasons, but it's just that if our hands are tied up and we load up a big sneeze or cough, we want to be respectful and, and, and save those droplets from hitting the patient. So we wear masks for different reasons. I'm not against masks, but they're not a defense against COVID. Mm, well said. Uh, Jordana asks, I hear you on the Joe Rogan podcast, and I would like to know the exact source for the 13,000 cases of heart uh, myocarditis in teens reported. I tried to do my own search in VERS, and it doesn't yield anything close to the data. My son is 16, and I feel like I'm losing the battle to make the choice to not vax him. Um, I'm going to the open VERS uh, slash uh, data, openvers.com slash COVID data. And the current number of myocarditis through December 31st query, myocarditis, pericarditis is 23,715. Wow. So go to openvares.com slash COVID hyphen data, and you'll see 23,713. Okay. All right. Brandon asks, uh, can you ask Dr. McCullough to talk about the OHSU study with senior author Tefesi uh, regarding so-called super immunity? You know about this? No, I don't know about it. I'd love to learn more. So let's, we'll have to pass on that to okay. study. the OHSU study. We'll have to check it out. Uh, Jane asks, uh, is the new Paxlovid pill just a reworked ivermectin? What do you think of the data? No, it's not. It's a combination of a novel chymase-like hit 3 inhibitor and an older protease inhibitor, ritonavir. It's a combined product, and in the clinical trials, it resulted in over an 80% reduction in hospitalization and death. COVID rates were, uh, hospitalization and death rates were very low, below 1%, but it looked like it clearly worked. So I'm going to welcome the Pfizer product into my practice. I think it'll be so interesting that do conventional doctors who have refused to use ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, will they start using the Pfizer drug? Only time will tell. Interesting. Uh, Jones asks, uh, Dr. Peter mentioned that the Pfizer vaccine has not yet received FDA approval. However, when I check the FDA official website, it says the vaccine received approval on August 23rd, uh, 2021. Could you please help me make sense of this? The FDA website has actually has a confusing string of text and uh, it basically makes it uh, seem as if Pfizer's been FDA approved, um, and uh, but it, uh, in reality, it's not. And you know it's not because there's no uh, package insert uh, and uh, there is no um, marketing. Uh, insurance companies don't, don't have to approve the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, and so it's clear the Pfizer vaccine is not approved. Pfizer was given a biological licensing agreement uh, by the FDA. Uh, I'm sorry, Pfizer was given a continuation of the emergency use authorization uh, for the vaccine. And Comirnaty, the German manufacturer, was given, given a biological um, licensing agreement. And that just means that Comirnaty, the German company, can put their drug on the market if they commit to post-marketing studies. They give language about pregnancy risks, and they uh, get a package label that gets negotiated. And um, in fact, they do all that. So Pfizer, definitely not um, FDA approved. Um, and it says right here, I'm reading on the FDA website right here. 
that it says right here, it says Pfizer BioNTech vaccine is authorized for emergency use and is available under the EUA mm. as a two-dose primary. So uh, it does not indicate that Pfizer is FDA approved. Yeah, a lot of people are confused by this. I see a lot of questions come in on that. Uh, a charity ask, uh, listening to Jessica Rose uh, on Mercola, uh, I learned the reason I have not been able to find your paper written with her with her online is because it was pulled. Am I able to get a copy? I'm a mother of two boys, 13 and 10, in a custody case and trying to compile my evidence to support my position to save my kids from all of this. Can you help? Yes, the paper is available by preprint, and I can certainly send that to the listener. It's under dispute right now because Elsevier pulled it. Uh, and breach the publication contract, they can only pull it if it's scientifically invalid. And that's not the case. They're trying to pick an administrative reason to pull it. So it's active censorship. It was pulled five days before the pediatric meeting. And Elsevier is being sued for breach of contract and tortuous interference. Okay, we'll get it out to them. We'll, we'll get that from you. All right, next one's from Greg. First, thank you for your program. It is vital to hear the real scientific information. I'm preparing to defend myself against a possible vaccine mandate. I would like to take the T detect test, but my COVID infection was more than 10 months ago. Would it still be worthwhile investment to take a T detect test? The T detect test will still be reliable 10 months later. It's not time dependent, but I think it's somewhat of a moot issue since Omicron is broken all immunity. So Omicron is affecting the naturally immune and the COVID recovered. It looks like everyone's getting Omicron, maybe able to save 200 bucks and just document an Omicron infection. Interesting. Wow. There may be more blessings with Omicron than we thought. Uh, Joe says, uh, we know that overweight and obese have worse outcomes due to the mechanism for viral replication in fat cells. My question is, when you get sick, your hunger goes to zero and you don't eat, lose weight and probably go into ketosis. So should you let your body do that or should you try to keep up the calorie and force yourself to eat? The critical thing is to take in the calories that are protein-based calories. The listener is right. The weight loss is tremendous and it seems to be disproportionately muscle weight loss that's uh, this loss. So we want to take in a protein. We want to avoid starch and sugar for the following reasons. There's been a ton of studies showing high sugar intake and blood sugar levels are related to bad outcomes. So the last thing we want to do is eating gobs of cookies and sugar in the setting of a COVID-19. The virus, think about this, the virus feeds on sugar and inflammation feeds on sugar. And so we want to avoid it. So go with high protein uh, uh, intake when you're sick with COVID-19. Yeah, it's a hell of a way to have a diet, isn't it? You know, uh, Kristen says, please help. My son recovered from COVID in eight days. He didn't qualify for antibodies. He is in his 30s and white. His wife, a type one diabetic, has a fever. Can she take the McCullough protocol now, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, without harming her sugars? I fear for her. Yes. In fact, hydroxychloroquine is favored. Hydroxychloroquine has anti-diabetic properties and it lowers blood sugar. Ivermectin is neutral. Okay. Uh, Casey asks, are there any studies on pregnant women who take the monoclonal antibodies? Is it safe? There are no prospective randomized trials, but there's plenty of um, anecdotal reports and case reports. And the answer is yes, monoclonal antibodies appear to be safe in pregnant women. Okay. Sarah, Sarah says, pardon my ignorance, but my understanding is the spike protein created by the mRNA and DNA vaccines is the protein causing more harm by COVID. 
But there are 26 additional areas on the virus the body can target and create antibodies to suppress the viral replication. So why didn't the pharma companies create vaccines that replicated those less harmful areas to initiate antibody production? It's because the spike protein, the receptor binding domain, that's the that's the lock and key to the human body. So the antibodies had to stick there in order to block it from entering the receptor. If they would have been antibodies against the nucleocapsid or the envelope protein, it wouldn't have stopped viral invasion. Yeah, I was real curious for the answer on that one. Good. Uh, Charlotte says, I'm not feeling very trusting right now, so I'm quite concerned on the safety of the new pills coming out. I totally trust Dr. McCullough and his advice, so would appreciate more investigation from a team he trusts before he gets an okay on the pills. As you can tell, I have no trust in anything backed or promoted by Fauci, Gates, CDC, NIH, WHO, HHS, and FDA. I myself won't take pills for that reason. What do you say to that? Well, another group to look for their endorsement is the Frontline Critical Care Consortium. So I haven't seen an endorsement yet come out on Pfizer or Merck. Um, I think Pfizer is going to be okay. Honestly, my evaluation of that is pretty solid. Merck, the concern is that, A, it doesn't do much. Its effect size is pretty low, only a 30% benefit. It's about the same as Favipiravir, which has been out in Japan and Russia and in India. It doesn't do much. And on top of that, Merck has got some concerns that it may be cancer-causing, that it influences replication of human cells, the viral uh, recombination, that may the DNA recombination. It may screw up uh, cancer risks and others. A five-day course shouldn't be oncogenic, but there's so many unknowns. I think what's going to happen is it's going to be pretty much a Pfizer approach with the new drug. Well, Jim says uh, the Daily Mail says 20% of all COVID cases in big cities is Omicron. My question is, how do they know? The PCR test could not tell the difference between the flu and COVID. They ran all PCR tests at too high of a threshold rate. Even rapid testing, I don't think, can tell the difference in variants. Uh, and is it too soon after Omicron discovered to have updated all the tests to tell the difference? Am I right about that? Or are they all just assuming it's Omicron? I think the public should know because if it is Omicron, it should be mild. What do you say to that? A great question. The, um, the, you're right. The, the standard PCR antigen tests that are done in urgent cares, they can't tell the difference between the different strains. So standard test that someone is listening to this show takes, you can't tell the difference between the strains. But the departments of community health do do sequencing on select samples. They, they pick you know, really true positive cases, and then they do full genomic sequencing. They can tell you what strain it is. Those data run in arrears. They run about three weeks behind. So the CDC uses a for forecasting system based on what's learned worldwide is called Nowcast. And Nowcast is pretty accurate. And Nowcast currently says that right now, we should be at 95% Omicron. Now, now, we will know in three weeks if at this point we are at 95% Omicron, but we, we operate on that. And that's what I'm seeing in my clinical practice. I'm seeing a ton of cases, but very mild, no one close to needing hospitalization. Wow, excellent. All right, Amanda says, are the spike proteins in the vaccine genetically modified for the vaccine? Uh, if the spike proteins are genetically or scientifically modified, here's my question. If a non-vaccinated person gets COVID from shed spike proteins of a vaccinated person, would their natural immunity be natural per se? 
would the immunity acquired of them be the same exact effectiveness of natural immunity acquired from natural infection of a non-vaccinated person as opposed to shed spike protein induced infection? Wow. That's a lot to unpack, Malcolm. Did uh, you follow that? <laughs> you want yeah. me to say it again? No. First off, um, first off, you know, Pfizer Moderna did did tweak the spike protein a little bit to, for what's called reactogenicity. They wanted to make it so the body would respond to it a bit more. So the answer is it is slightly unnatural, if you will. Uh, it's been tweaked. Now, um, the body does uh, react to it. And if, if, if there's shedding of the spike protein uh, from one person to another, there's only one paper that shows the spike protein moving around in what's called exosomes, that paper's by Banzel et al. There's never been a peer-reviewed published paper showing that, the, in fact, shedding occurs. But let's say if indeed it occurred and someone exchanged some body fluids or had some close contact, I imagine the exposure to spike protein is so sufficiently small in the recipient that there won't be any immunity generated. You know, in all fairness, uh, Dr. McCullough, uh, the question that came from Amanda here, she did say at the end of that, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> so she, she understood. All right. Uh, now, on, on a, to a few um, questions on vaccine injuries, uh, a friend's son, 22, is suffering from abnormal heart issues. The cardiologists say the time between the booster shot and the symptoms is too long to be connected. He's not able to get tests until a week from now. My question is, what is the time window for connecting the myocarditis or pericarditis to the vaccine? Most of the really severe cases occur within a couple days of the shot. I mean, it's pretty explosive. What we don't know is subclinical myocarditis. That is, uh, individuals who maybe 30 days later have a few extra heartbeats or uh, other disturbances. Uh, we're really worried about these athletes falling dead in Europe. You've probably noticed there's about 200 athletes now that have just suddenly fallen dead on the field. We wonder if that's subclinical myocarditis and then the extreme str strain of uh, exercise, which you should not exercise with myocarditis, uh, that that may be precipitating these sudden deaths. So the answer is within a couple of days, it becomes very, very obvious. Uh, once we get out to 30 days, that's a typical regulatory window to basically blame the vaccine. Okay. Uh, Cody uh, asked, I am writing you today to ask if you have seen or heard of a reaction to the vaccine causing cancer in the lymph nodes specifically. My father received the vax and shortly after developed a swollen area that turned out to be cancer. One doctor he has gone to would not straightforward say it, but he felt he did believe the vax triggered something in his body that produced the cancer. Would love to know your thoughts. From University of Pittsburgh showed that the S2 segment of the spike protein, which is produced by the vaccines in the body, does interact with two cancer genes, one P53, the other one's BRCA or BRCA gene, which governs a breast and female reproductive cancer. So it's, it's theoretical that if you had enough spike protein around for a long enough period of time, it could be oncogenic. But I'm thinking the real cancer risks are with boosters given over three to five years, not with a single shot. Chances are what happened is a single shot uh, caused some local inflammation in lymph node and it brought it to attention. And then once it was attention, it got biopsied and the latent cancer was discovered that way. Okay, this um, 
Uh, oh, there was an idea here. Uh, this person, uh, let me just read this here with you. Also, in the podcast, you spoke of some trials on masks. Oh, listen to this. I wanted you to hear this. Uh, trials on masks. They ask, do you have any links to those? But they go on to say, you'll love this. I want to listen to hear this. I would love to put together folders. And if I go anywhere that they are telling me I must wear one. Again, people are really against this mask business. Dr. McCullough. Uh, Cody says, I'd love to supply them with facts before I leave. Uh, just being a good a good, a good patriot here, uh, that actually draws me an idea. Maybe you could make a page or document that we, the people, love that reference there, can print a bunch out and have a bunch of folders in our cars. And anytime we go somewhere that people are pushing these masks or vaccines, we can just, well, politely give them the folder and walk away. Again, being a gentleman, he is. I'd be willing to spend some money and time printing and putting together these folders. So, what do you say to Cody, Dr. McCullough? <laughs> the most frequently quoted trial, I love this idea of evidence-based in a folder on the subway. That's so cute. Um, is the Dan Mask trial, the Dan Mask trial. And this was a trial. Uh, the first author is a Bundgaard and, uh, from Denmark. And this is a trial of um, uh, that was between April and May of 2020. And uh, people spending time more than three hours outside the home uh, with or without an occupational um, mask use. And so uh, they were um, uh, randomized. And the bottom line, it was 3,030 3, people uh, participated. And um, in uh, 42 patients wearing masks and 53 patients not wearing masks developed the infection, and that was not statistically significant. So people point to the Dan Mass trial as you know, a pretty big effort to show that vaccines don't achieve a statistical significance. Yeah, thank you for that. And, you know, I want to tell listeners right now, uh, just this uh, past weekend, depending on when you're hearing this, if you're hearing this on talk radio or podcast, uh, I had a Dr. Robert Malone on and we talked about the mask on kids. And, you know, Dr. McCullough, one of the things he pointed out was that, well, kids read body language and they read your, your facial. And by covering that up on your face, you're doing so much harm to the kids because they can't even, you know, they learn by reading your, your psychologically, your body language of teachers and their peers and adults and they're not able to see that he was explaining the damage these masks do it's a lot of a lot of a lot of relevant uh, uh, damage these things are doing aren't they you know it's true dr mark mcdonald who's been on the mccullough report uh he's a wonderful read uh because he has the data clear that the children are trying to you know phonate they're trying to learn how to form words read facial expressions right. etc and wearing masks uh is impairing all that and without the data suggesting that masks do anything, we're causing great harm with this intervention. Okay, uh, let me sneak one in before the pause here quickly. This one's from Charlotte. Uh, a friend had the J&J &J one shot back uh, in April. Uh, this fall, she got a flu shot. Now she's dealing with mouth tremors, mouth tremors. Could the flu shot have caused this or the combination of vaccine and system and then the flu shot caused this? Probably the combination, that's interesting. Uh, but it's an idiot. Sounds like an idiopathic neurologic response to this immune activation with the flu shot superimposed. So I, I would say both. 
Okay, excellent, excellent. All right. Uh, well, let me just give you a footnote here, a couple of things, my, my friends. And uh, this is a number 13 uh, of the Q&As. Again, I do these with, well, both very much Dr. McCullough here uh, and also Dr. Henry Ely. And he's picked up quite a fan base as well from these uh, and people who generally appreciate his efforts. You know, the, the beautiful thing about the, these guys here, Dr. McCullough, Dr. Henry Ely, and do, let's not forget Dr. Lee for America, Dr. Elizabeth Leafly. These are people who, I mean, they're passionate. They want the truth out there. Um, I, I just need to tell you, these are people, I mean, they, they do this from their heart. They don't do this because it builds their wallet up or somehow it magnifies the, the possibilities. They do this because of their commitment to getting the truth out there. So listen, we are absolutely delighted to be able to put all of this out here, uh, for me anyways, personally, from America Out Loud and be able to make a difference I think it's a beautiful thing. And uh, so I want to just take a moment to applaud uh, all of this with Dr. McCullough and Dr. Henry Lee, uh, Dr. Lee for America. And we have so many resources back at the network there at americaroutloud.com. You know, one of the most, by the way, we'll get into this. And let me just tell you right now, a little bit in the program here, we're going to be getting into the uh, povidine iodine, uh, some follow-up thoughts to that. That post that we put up, oh, just recently, like a couple of weeks back here, that is the most Read, click to, listened, uh, uh, read rather a post uh, that we've on the network. It's remarkable. Everybody wants that post. They want that information worldwide that is being accessed all over the planet. Uh, rest assured. So that is available under COVID resources right on the front page on the left side. If you go there, uh, you'll see that as well. The other footnote to tell you about, you know, you hear me on the network on my show here, The Voice of a Nation. I come to you every day here at 6 p.m. Eastern time and uh, 10 o'clock as well. There is a, an encore later in the day. Six and 10, you'll hear this program here. You know, we do these Q&As as often as we can uh, to get the information out. But, you know, uh, you'll hear a lot in here. We talk about healthy cell. There's a reason. You know, I've learned so much from all of this. Uh, it, certainly, I'm not a, a doctor or an expert in any of this. But like all of us, we, we learn as we grow as people, you know, and the one thing we've done is we've learned uh, how to be more healthy in our lives, the things we need to be taken, the things we need to do to sustain a more healthy immune system. And that's the one thing I've been taking healthy self for four years. And there's a reason I do it. Uh, and I knew back then how important it was. And I knew it was also important to get out of the radio studio and to be able to walk. And I tell you that every day I walk, you know, uh, at least uh, three, four miles a day. I take my wife with me as well, as much as we can, because, you know, it's important. We all feel good. And we do that. Got to get outside of the walls, people. So Healthy Cell, I highly, highly recommend. Uh, it's, uh, I take uh, several products of theirs. They're multi-daily as gel form, nutraceuticals, very easy to take right out of the package. I mix mine with in a little bit of water because I take other things with it. I take extra zinc, extra D, extra A. You know, listen, my fellow Americans, I ain't getting tackled anymore with any immune system problems. I want to be pretty lit for the fight of whatever's coming down the pike here. Uh, so I take all of that daily as well as walk. Uh, but anyway, so the point of healthy cell all of our listeners get 20% off uh, their first order just to use the code out loud or just go to healthycell.com forward slash out loud. And you're entitled to that as one of our listeners here. They have a whole host of products. I, too long to get into here, but REM sleep helps you sleep at night. This is a fabulous product. I was taking just a couple last week because I needed to rest my body, rest my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Turn Mr. Out Loud off a little bit. Yeah, for sure. For me, I have to. <laughs> not you, not you, but me. And uh, the other one is a focus. A lot of us have brain fog from COVID. I had COVID as well. My wife did. 
Focus is phenomenal for that. It helps with the brain fog, so we take that as well. Check out all their products, I'll leave it there. And you can do that, uh, again, healthycell.com forward slash out loud. We'll take a quick pause, my fellow Americans. We'll see you on the other side here. You're listening uh, to The Voice of a Nation. Listen to Malcolm, The Voice of a Nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. I want to give you an update on Healthy Cell Focus and Recall Supplement. This is important. I'm about ready to take one now. It's the morning. I am in a flurry of activities. I have to get this report filed with America Out Loud Talk Radio. And this are these are gel-based vitamin supplements. Focus and Recall has uh, six major domains. First is focus and neurotransmitters with L-threonine, glycine, and L-tyrosine. Uh, recall mental speed and rapid learning, alpha-lipoic acid, and phosphatidylserine. Brain flow and support, curcumin and taurine, green coffee bean extract. Brain cell oxidative, uh, antioxidative activity, lutein, black pepper, uh, fruit and extract. And lastly, cognitive fuel, brain energy, omega-3, 6, and 9, MCT oil, vitamin B6, and B12. Now, is it proven that these can improve uh, your memory and make a significant uh, impact in your overall mental function? I have to tell you, that's really up to you to give it a try. But I can tell you right now, I am not going to gamble without taking a healthy cell today. These are wonderful products. There's no downside to them. Uh, go to HealthyCell.com and put in the promotional box out loud to get 20% off your next purchase of Healthy Cell products. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. It was a vision that gave birth to a unique multimedia platform that would combine classic talk radio, great writers, and memorable podcasts and videos. AmericaOutloud.com is a conservative leader in a field that is predominantly run by far-left progressive globalists. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at liberty at americaoutloud.com. Liberty at americaoutloud.com. We join you back on the Voice of a Nation 
it is Malcolm out loud here. Uh, yours truly, thank you uh, for being with us on the mission here, my fellow Americans. And it's all back at America Out Loud. Uh, we are on the front lines here in, in many, many things. I mean, life is everything. Life is society, it's cultural, it's politics, it's healthcare, it's COVID, it's everything we need to contend with, friends. And that's the way I see it. Uh, and we have the, all the threads open and conversations ready to go there at America Out Loud. So um, we are, this is our 13th Q&A with Dr. McCullough, and uh, it's a pleasure to, uh, to be with you here. We'll get right back to the questions now. And this one here is from Dinah. Dinah, uh, please, Dr. McCullough, I need some advice. My 18-year-old son has been offered an opportunity of a lifetime a dream of his, but our Australian government uh, insists on him being vaccinated to travel. He keeps asking me what vax he should uh, take, uh, but I believe none of them are safe. I don't know what to do. Should he get a vaccine so he can achieve his dream or sacrifice his dream and hope there is a better option for him later if our governments ever wake up from the BS? There's a history of heart disease in my husband's family. So, the thought of my boys getting this vac scare me, especially I have three teenage sons. Will there be a safe alternative? Will Novavax or Covax be safer? The pressure to get vaccinated here in Australia is relentless. And I truly fear for my son's future and the pressure that uh, we're under to get vaccinated. Now, I, I wanted to start that in this next segment with you, Dr. McCullough, because you feel the passion and the heartstrings being pulled there. And this is what people are going through. What do you say there? It all depends on the social contract. Does that mean a vaccine now and then to pursue the dream of vaccine three months later or six months later? I mean, a lot of people think think it's a binary thing. You think you get the vaccine and you're good. You're good for life. Uh, but they, they, people are disappointed when they find out you only get a three-month lease on life or a six-month lease on life. Um, you know, the best decision is to a young person like that is just forgo the vaccine and stay healthy and look for other dreams in life. But if one was going to be forced into it, knowing what I know right now, I would take the Novavax vaccine, which recently was approved in Australia. Okay. All right. That's a great answer. But you've got to make that decision yourself, my friends. I mean, social contract or take the risk or there you go. Best advice. So uh, this next one is from Selena. Can you direct me to information related to COVID after vaccination, please? I want to know both how I contracted COVID a week after the first Pfizer vaccine and the implication for my immune system. I did not have any subsequent jabs, she says. That scenario was reported in the Pfizer briefing booklet where those who received Pfizer were more likely to get COVID after the first shot than those who received the placebo shot. And then it leveled out after the second shot. So there must be something about the first shot that in a sense almost encourages COVID-19 for a few weeks before the immunity sets in. It doesn't look like, it doesn't look like there's any long-term harm in this and you do have long-term immunity, uh, at least immunity through uh, the Delta variant. Now Omicron can layer on top. What's wrong with that picture? You get a vaccine, you, you, you settle into the social contract, Dr. McCullough, you get the vaccine, and then you just say, well, and then by the way, you're now more susceptible to get the virus. I mean, what's wrong with that picture? It's clearly uh, antithetical, for sure. And it seems like things are more about the vaccine than actually, you know, the medicinal benefit of the vaccine. That's the thing that really disturbs everybody. Very disturbing, for sure. Uh, this next one's from Phyllis. If we are forced to take the vax, what can we take prior to and following the injections to lessen the effects? I get this one a lot. Yeah, people want to detox from the vax. I would go to World Council for Health uh, 
World Council of Health. They've got some suggestions. It's a website led by Dr. Tess Lowry. It's a yellow and pink background. You'll see it uh, when you find it, World Council for Health. All right, great. So this one's from Christina. I am unvaccinated and have done a lot of research into the pros and cons of getting the vaccine. Something that I've come across in my reading is that with previous vaccines, any adverse effects would happen within two weeks of getting the vaccine. So there is no reason to think that there are any long-term effects from getting the vaccine. Does Dr. McCullough agree with this assessment? Hmm, wow. For most vaccines, that's true, because after a month, whatever's in the vaccine should be cleared out of the body. Now that we've learned a paper by Patterson, a paper by Benzel, suggesting the vaccines, uh, the product of the vaccines, which is the spike protein, lasts in the body many months, if not over a year. It's possible we're going to build up long-term problems with successive boosters. I do agree that most action occurs within 30 days. Clinically, in my practice, though, I've seen a blood clot in the arm uh, even out to five months after the vaccine. It was wow. clearly related. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, this next one is from uh, Atif, Atif, and it says, uh, Malcolm, I'm listening to episode number 12 now after hearing the Joe Rogan interview as well. I suffered with myocarditis from COVID-19, infected October 2020, and MRI confirmed the myocarditis. Despite this, the cardiologist recommended I still take the vaccine as there's no data to show I'm at a higher risk than anyone else to get a complication, including myocarditis, again, from the vaccine. For me, it doesn't seem a coincidence that I get the same serious illness that the vaccine gives. Surely, whatever reason my body immune reacts to the spike proteins in COVID will do the same again with the spike proteins of the vaccine. But I know the vaccine only has one of the proteins, so that's where my medical knowledge stops. Can you please share your view? If there's any research I can show my general practitioner to get a medical exemption if the link is in fact real, you know, and then he ends with this, Atif does, with vaccine mandates becoming real, too real in Europe, it's a credible risk in the UK too. Hence, I'm keen to get a medical exemption if indeed there is a higher risk. But this whole thing about the immune thing, what do you say to that? I'd say get an exemption, you know, whether it's myocarditis due to COVID-19, the illness, and that's actually debatable. It's a paper by Joy and colleagues showing that myocarditis really doesn't exist as a form frust. Uh, syndrome. It clearly does in terms after the vaccine, but let's say it's myocarditis, student adenovirus or Coxsackie virus. Uh, we would never have somebody who had prior myocarditis take a vaccine that causes myocarditis. It's just asking for trouble. Okay. Uh, these next couple, I, I label this next few for whatever reason we'll see together here, desperate times. So let's see what I meant by that. I don't recall, but this next question is from Anna. Hi, I've been dealing with OCD, okay, for a number of years now. I was on the verge of getting better until this horrid worldwide event began. Wow. I will not succumb to these vaccines. I am taking vitamin D, zinc, quercetin, and vitamin C. However, I went to the dentist, and both the dentist and the assistant there have been vaxxed and were constantly talking while the dentist was cleaning my teeth. Even though they were wearing masks, is there any possibility that I may have been infected with spike protein? Please reply as I am reply as I'm having a breakdown and I'm not coping well at all. Hmm. I think there's a low chance there was any shedding or any exposure. If they were wearing masks and there was no close contact, I think it was just a matter of anxiety. And certainly the discussing the vaccines causes anxieties. I think she's okay. 
Well, I was just at the dentist uh, a couple of weeks ago, too, as well. And, uh, uh, you know, they're all wearing their usual mask and stuff. In fact, they're double mask and they're wearing shields now, Dr. McCullough. You see that they're wearing shields as well as the mask. Yeah, they are. And there's, there's no credible evidence that it splashes into the eye. It's not like uh, Ebola, what have you. It's, it's largely just breathed into the nasal passages. That's where it settles in. Yeah, I was going to go in there for the gag when the next appointment I go in with her with a spacesuit on or some short and see what she says, the dentist that is. Anyways, the next one is from Lisa. And Lisa says, our daughter, she's 39 years old and an ICU nurse. She was forced to take the vax or lose her job. She has started having more and more issues since the second dose. Now, listen to this, this query here. Listen to this, please. First was the migraines. Eye pressure felt like squeezing tight, some weakness. Now today she called me crying scared. She was having leg weakness, trembling, a hand numbness, could not make her feet go up steps to her apartment and lay down and she cried. She reports from many nights, hips are jerking, has to press pillow between knees, hard to stop until she falls asleep, using Ambien, et cetera, et cetera. So no doctor she sees, no doctor she knows would believe Vax related. So she's lost. She went to the ER with adverse reaction from flu shot a few weeks ago. And this is crazy. And told to never get another one. She had a medical disclaimer from four docs prior years, but could not get this to be honored. Where can she go for help, diagnosis, treatment? Please help. Please, please, please. The, the mom is saying. And, and but here's the caveat I want you to hear. Let, let, you talk about the social contract all the time, Dr. McCullough, right? Well, listen to this. She worked for ICU COVID unit last year and this year. She worked there, okay? She's, she is team lead and rapid response nurse. Get, get a load of this. Her daughter is, but here's why she does it. Here's, here's why she does it. Her daughter is entering med school next fall at University of Columbia. That was why she could not lose the job and forced to take the COVID back. So this mom went through all of that because of her daughter. And now the grandmother, uh, this story just kills me here. What do you say to this? Well, it sounds terrible. <clears throat> just the syndrome, to me, that sounds like a cavernous venous or a central venous thrombosis. So I want to make sure a CT scan or MRI was done in the brain. Anytime there's some hard neurologic findings like this, we worry about blood clots in the brain. The FDA agrees that this can happen. It's an official warning against Johnson & Johnson. So I want to make sure that Neurology consultation, MRI or CT imaging has been done. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting story there. All right. Uh, here are some questions now that everybody is going to want to hear because this is like one of the most biggest topics ever. And I think you know that, Dr. McCullough, the, the uh, uh, povidone uh, iodine here. These are questions related to that that are interesting. Uh, Terry asks, uh, mo most uh, mouthwashes kill the good bacteria in the mouth that are necessary for nitric oxide production. Does povidone iodine also kill the good bugs? If so, won't this impact our heart health? She's asking. If I understand this correctly, nitric oxide has a role in cardiometabolic health. How can I prevent the iodine from staining my teeth? She says. So, I mean, and then will using the iodine in the nose several times a day cause false negative results on home COVID antigen test? So she asked several questions there. But this whole thing up front about the nitric oxide, what do you say to that? You know, that povidone iodine exposure in the nasal washes is so short, it basically knocks out some of the quickly replicating viral particles, but doesn't have an impact on the long-term microbiome of the nasopharynx. 
right? And um, uh, by using the eye down in the nose several times a day, causing false negative results on COVID-19 antigen tests, will it do that? Well, it'll actually reduce the positivity considerably. And we hope it's true. It's actually true negative results, meaning that it actually helps to reduce the... Um, reduce the load. Whether it reduces false positive results for routine testing, that's unknown. Yeah. I want to ask you real quickly, this is a kind of a sidebar here, but real fast, Dr. McKillop, um, one of our docs out of Europe, Dr. Joel Holmes, um, he's he's been sending us information about the the testing, the, the, when you have the swab put up your nose. I've never had that done, by the way, not once. So I don't really never felt it. I, I don't partake in any of that stuff. But I know everybody's doing it and they're doing it multiple times a day. He's saying there's now proof and results and research is coming out that shows there's some real problems with that health-wise that are causing problems for people and potential cancer and other things. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, people are worried about ethylene oxide, which is on the tip of the globs. I don't know if indeed that's a significant exposure, but by personal conversation with Dr. Eric Hansen in East Texas, uh, an ENT doctor, he's seen multiple cases of cribriform plate fracture. That is the delicate uh, roof of the nasal cavity is fractured by a zealous, uh, overzealous uh, person operating the swab. So I, I got to tell you, these routine tests have no scientific support. They're not supported by the FDA, CDC, or WHO. So I think if you're if you are forced to take a nasal test, you yourself control the, the swab. Don't let somebody stick it up your nose, and they don't know they don't know, uh, you know, how much discomfort they're causing, how close they're getting to the critical, uh, you know, part of the brain there. Yeah, and I've heard that before. What Dr. McCullough says, so vital. Uh, you do it yourself, don't have them do it. So I think that's really good to uh, get a, a confirmation on that. Uh, that article, by the way, I don't know too much about. So I wanted to get Dr. McCullough to opine on it, but is uh, Dr. Joel Holmes on the platform, friends? It's called Are the PCR Test Swabs Dangerous? And there's some more studies coming in to follow up on this. So I don't think we've heard the last of this uh, potentially. I don't really know, but uh, that's, that's that. All right. Uh, this uh, next one is from uh, Katie. Uh, we have been unable to get the uh, betadine, uh, povidine iodine in the UK. We have been using food grade peppermint oil in a carrier, coconut oil on a cotton bud, if you will, in our noses as an alternative, as peppermint is an antiviral. Do you have any thoughts about the use of peppermint to reduce the viral load? It is very pleasant smelling, she says. <laughs> it sounds like it smells good to me, but um, you know, there's a variety of substances. People have used all different types of things, uh, various herbs and smelling oils and fragrance oils, what have you. It's possible that they could kill the virus. I won't discount it, but the things that are proven are povidone iodine, hydrogen peroxide, Lugol's iodine, X-Clear, uh, Nozone, and um, sodium hypochlorite. So, you know, you have enough of a choice. You might as well get something that really kills the virus. Okay. All right. Uh, Sarah says, thank you for all you do to keep us informed and healthy. There you go. I'm writing to ask for clarification on the nasal rinse to lessen the viral load of COVID-19. The doctor stated that it's the uh, six ounces of water and what is it, two uh, teaspoons, is it? It's something easier. It's just half a teaspoon in a shot glass of water. Half a teaspoon, 1.5 ounces of water. I've done that myself, Malcolm. You don't waste so much when you do that. You have just enough to squirt both nostrils, sniff it back, spit it out, and gargle with the rest. And and she says if, if to know she wants to know the amount of hydrogen peroxide to use in place of the the betadine. Do you know that? Yeah, it's a three to one dilution for that. So it'd be three quarters of a teaspoon of hydrogen peroxide in a shot glass of water, one point five ounces. All right, awesome, awesome. Thanks. That's that's great to uh, confirm that. Uh, Lindsay asks here: Has uh, Dr. McCullough heard of anything about the? Azelestine, azelestine nose drops about preventing COVID. 
you know, that was a, um, a suggestion that I had for one of the viewers. And um, I think it's okay. Uh, just take a look at the ingredients there and see if it falls in line with uh, one of the compounds that I've suggested. Uh, Povidone iodine, sodium hypochlorite, um, the um, uh, hydrogen peroxide, Lugol's iodine, or X-Clear. Okay. All right. Uh, this next one is from um, Max. Uh, have you heard of co Cofix RN nasal spray? It is uh, one and a quarter percent povidone iodine. Have you heard of that? I have. Yeah, that's a, it's a already prepared nasal spray. 1.5%. That's going to sting a little bit. So if that stings a little bit, you can dilute it some more. They actually said that. They said, I know it's a little more expensive, but instead of mixing your own, it's convenient. He has some. Do you think it's safe is what they're saying at 1.25? It does say it could sting a little bit. And it does, he says, but he's okay with it. It doesn't bother him uh, too much. He says, I also have the betadine sore throat gargle, but it's only at 0.5 of the povidone iodine. Haven't tried it yet. When making a betadine mixture for the nose, do you still add salt or is it, or is it that just for the throat mixture? Wow. Uh, first off, you can add a little pinch of salt for both the nose and the mouth. That makes it a little bit more physiologic. The general principle, if it stings, make it more dilute. The povidone iodine kills all the way from 0.1 up to 0.9. There's a, quite a range uh, of it that you can use. It should be the consistency of dark tea. Dark tea. Wow. Okay. All right. This one's from Tracy. I'm a 39-year-old registered nurse in California uh, that was mandated to get the vaccine. I did not want it, and I even asked my doc to give an exemption. I got the, you heard, the Janssen vaccine? Janssen, is it? You've heard of that, Dr. McCullough? Yeah, that's Johnson & Johnson. Okay, that's okay. They call it Janssen. All right. Yeah, J&J. &J. There you go. And I've been breathing issues and chest pain since. I wanted to find out where I could, wow, get help from an honest doctor. I, I had an echo showing the borderline dilation and a small valve leak they called normal. Nothing since the vaccine has been normal. <laughs> she says, Tracy says, please help me. I would appreciate it. What do you say to her? With over a million vaccine injuries, I mean, you can't imagine how many people now are suffering with something. This sounds like this could have been a blood clot that developed in legs and shot to the lungs. So I would definitely have a CT scan to rule out pulmonary embolism and see a specialist to make sure there hasn't been uh, either heart or lung damage. Okay. All right. Uh, this next one is from Gigi, um, a 33-year-old male who has had two Pfizer vaccines. Uh, from the second vaccine, I got a fever and strong chills one night. Otherwise, no other adverse effects yet. I'm concerned about getting the third vaccine. This is what I mean. They keep pulling them in. They want more and more. And it's like, it's just, I don't know. I'm physically very active doing um, aerobic exercise about 10 hours per week and burning over 5,000 calories every week. And uh, what would be long, what would be long enough break from exercising after the MRNA vaccine, just to be safe from the possible myocarditis, maybe two weeks or even two months, or as it takes an average of two months to recover from a typical uh, myocarditis, they're asking. What do you say to this? You know, with each shot, the thought is it gets progressively worse. From shot one to shot two, it's 80-fold worse in terms of the reaction. To shot three, we don't know, but it could be another 80-fold worse. Um, if there's chest pain or suspected myocarditis, you've got to make a diagnosis. You've got to get an EKG blood test for cardiac troponin, echocardiogram, or MRI. It needs to be diagnosed. If you have myocarditis, it's three to six months with no exercise. There you go. That's important, isn't it? So 
All right, Jordan asked um, for the Q&A here. I've had COVID in October 2020. After that, I had some health episodes. Went to the hospital with tingling in limbs, uh, in hips. After a month, the cardiologist thought I may have a hiatal hernia. Felt good until September 21. Had general fatigue and an episode of tingling. Cardiologist, EKG, and blood tests found nothing. Since December 1, regular doc has had me on BP meds, but I'm still struggling with the physical anxiety in my limbs, with tingling and chest pains. I'm 37 with no family history of issues. Wow. What could COVID be causing this? Jordan asked, what can I do? It could be the spike protein after vaccination in the nerves that's causing it. You know, we always worry about tingling in the extremities, progressing to Guillain-Barre syndrome. It looks like it's not progressing to Guillain-Barre syndrome, but I think it's a clear signal should, should lay off any further vaccination. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, okay, this one is from Jeannie. Uh, Jeannie, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm 66, recovered from COVID two weeks, did your protocol and received the monoclonal antibodies as well on day three. All I have is residual tiredness and a little brain fog. My question is, can I help my son and wife, family who have COVID? I guess they're worried about spreading it. Is that the concept there with that question? Yeah, I mean, the answer is yes, up until now. I mean, you know, we should we could have a prior alpha uh, recovered person take care of a delta. Now that Omicron has overlaid this person, if they went in and took care of an Omicron patient, they're likely to get it. So Omicron's broken through both natural and vaccine immunity. Yeah. Uh, Kathy says, uh, I love the Q&As. My question is, is it safe to take the uh, pro provodon iodine with uh, high hypothyroid? Yeah, hypothyroid, right? I yeah, take the meds for it. Low thyroid is fine. It's just we don't want to take it with a hyperfunctioning nodule or with Graves' disease. And uh, we certainly don't want to swallow it. Okay. And this will be uh, probably the last one we can get in here. Uh, and this is going to be from Andrew. And uh, it is uh, what is an alternative mixture for the iodine nose flush? My wife has an iodine allergy. So alternative mixture for the iodine nose flush. And so looking for an alternative. I would do a very, if it's a flush, like a, like a um, neti pot system, I would do dilute hydrogen peroxide with no iodine in it. Yeah. And they're asking is, have you heard of any negative effects relating to blood transfusions with vaccinated blood? My wife has lupus and we fear any negative effects if she ever needed one. Have you heard of that? Negative effects? Uh, well, you know, we think the blood supply is contaminated. We wrote the uh, American Association of Blood Banking and the American Red Cross. They acknowledged our letters. This was last spring, but no action was taken. Now, there may be enough ambient antibodies in the pooled uh, donated blood and pooled plasma that it just kind of neutralizes the spike protein. But I still think there's a residual concern that the blood supply is contaminated with the vaccinated blood, both lipid nanoparticles and spike protein. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, now, let me tell folks now, uh, the McCullough Report, uh, you can listen to that every Saturday and Sunday on America Out Loud Talk Radio. If you want to hear the first uh, uh, mention of that, that's the place to go on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can hear that on iHeartRadio, on the iHeartRadio Network, uh, or our apps on Apple, Android, Alexa, of course, or the Media Player. All those links are back at AmericaOutloud.com. But just remember the times, uh, Saturday, Sunday, 
Monday, 2 p.m., and there's an encore at 7. So if you miss it at 2, you can get it at 7. And you'll hear it there. That's the, And then it does go to podcast, uh, usually later part of Monday, uh, latter part of the day. You'll, you'll see it on the podcast networks worldwide. And I know you all see it because you respond in droves when you see it. And the response on the outpouring here is remarkable. Uh, we'll continue to do our part here, uh, my, my fellow Americans and, and, and our friends around the world. I need to say that. I always reference our fellow Americans, but we have people, a lot of people from Australia, Europe, and all over the world listen to this program. So uh, we, we love all of you and are wishing you uh, just to jump in your step, my friends, and stay healthy. Get out and walk. Take some healthy self. Be good. Smile. Tell your neighbor, your friends, you love them. Uh, life is too short, friends, to take the other road for sure. Uh, thank you for joining me here. It's time uh, to get involved and get loud. <laughs>